Well, turn with me this evening to the book of Hebrews. Last week we began a new series. Anybody here? Did you remember what it was about? Help me out. Refresh my memory. I preached on a bunch of things between now and then. Huh? Without. Oh, yeah. We were excited about it. That's excited about getting free, totally free from any covetousness. Now, you know, you advertise you're going to have a seminar about without covetousness and you know, if you're looking for your title to draw folks in, that probably wouldn't do it. But this is, I'm telling you, this is one of the most important subjects you could talk about. It covers so much ground. The more I get into it, the more I see about it, the more excited and the more confirmation I have that we are on the right thing at the right time. And God is getting us ready. Through this, he's preparing us for much greater blessing you have to be qualified to handle greater degrees of anointing revelation power and influence money you know uh, so many times people uh, they don't realize it but they're cutting themselves off by failing tests you know you get a little bit of money and they just you know act silly about it and and get puffed up and do the wrong thing with it. Well, you failed test then. And you don't progress. You don't get promoted further. You know, like one fellow was telling me, he drove through some fast food place. And I forget, I think the bill was eight seventy-five, And he gave him a 10. They gave him a 20 back and some change. And he drove away shouting, thanking the Lord for the, for the blessing. And I said, no, man, you failed a test. You failed a test. And so you fail a test with $20, you're not qualified to handle $2 million. Right? You have to pass tests. And one of the tests that you have to pass is uh, the free from covetousness test. So uh, Hebrews 13, are you there? Y'all believing with me tonight, right? Hebrews 13. Scripture says, verse 5, let your conversation, that means your manner and way of life, let your conversation be without covetousness. When the Lord says, let your life be without something, what does that mean? That means we should have none of it. Hmm? Somebody comes by and says, I want to borrow some sugar. And you say, man, I am out of sugar. What does that mean? You don't have any for them to borrow. And what we want is for God to be able to look at us. And you know, like Jesus said about Nathaniel when he came and saw him for the first time. He said, there's a man with no guile. What does that mean? He's without guile. There's none in him. There's no deception in him. There's no shadiness or trickery in him. He's completely honest, sincere. That's God-like. Because God is light and truth. In him, there's no darkness. There's no lying. There's no shadow and turning and trickiness. It's the devil who's subtle and deceptive. Well, he told us to be without what? Let your... Way of life, your conversation, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. 
For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, some people have just, they just take that one phrase, be content with such things as you have. And they pull it out of the verse and ignore what came before it and ignore what comes after it. And just try to tell you that you should not try to believe for anything beyond where you are. Be content means don't have any vision, don't have any faith. Well, that contradicts too many other scriptures. And you spell, how do you rightly divide the word? You rightly divide scripture with other scripture. Where do you find the answer to Bible questions? In the Bible. So in doing so, you're not just, you know, some people, bless their hearts, even some preachers, even they have what Brother Hagin used to call a little rabbit trail in the scriptures. And that's all they know. And they quote two or three or four or ten scriptures and ignore everything else. But you know, so many erroneous teachings, so many teachings of error would have been avoided if they had just read the five verses that came before it. Or the three that came after it. It's so important to look at the whole context and then look at the whole rest of the Bible on that subject. Well, why would he say, as soon as he says, be content with such things as you have, the very next thing he says is what? For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. What does that mean? How could you be content? Like Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. How? Because he is with you. Oh, come on now. We talked about it. We shouted about this last week. You remember a little bit? And this, already without going too much into detail, how could you tell that you were not covetous? Well, you are content. Right now. Before you get everything on your vision list. You're content. You're not looking for that house or that car or that money or even giving a big check to the kingdom to make you somebody. You're not waiting to be fulfilled. Have you heard people, bless their hearts, talking about, you know, working with psychiatrists and writing books, trying to find out who they are? I've heard of people, I've heard lady said she left her husband and her kids and went out and they didn't know where she was. They finally found her. What's going on? Well, she's trying to find herself. It's ignorant. With us Christians, it's real easy. Well, Brother Keith, I'm looking for myself. Well, quit it. Stop it. It's ignorant. Let me tell you who you are. You are in Christ Jesus. You want to find out who you are? Find out who He is. Because that's who you are. You're in Him. He's in you. That's who you are. i got to find myself ignorant. Ignorant. <laughs> I said, well, I said that, Brother Keith. Well, repent. Where do you find your satisfaction? Your fulfillment? Your contentment. No amount of stuff will give you inner fulfillment. No amount. No car, no house, no land, no position, no success in business will give you 
an identity of who and that you are somebody and the, the sense of fulfillment and contentment. That's why if you are longing for something to make you happy and satisfy you, you're covetous. Can you see this? And it is not okay, even for a little while. It is not okay for a day. It's a very serious thing as we're going to see as we get into the scriptures. Read this with me again here. I'll read it. You listen. He said, let your conversation be what? Without. So how much of it is it okay to have? Absolutely none. Somebody hold up and say zero tolerance for covetousness in me. Now see, don't judge other people how covetous they are. No, it's talking about you judging you. Now the reason I say that is because we're going to grow in this. Over the next weeks, days and weeks, you and I, I mean, we've seen it again and again, haven't we? We're going to grow in this. And what's going to happen is you're going to see covetousness in yourself. And it won't make you happy. But it'll make you happy to get free from it. But you're going to see some of it. And what happens as you see it in you, you'll see it in other people too. But it's not your job to straighten them out. It's your job to straighten you out. Okay. Remember, we're excited about this, right? Let your life be without covetousness and be what? Content with such things as you have. Or we might say, right where you are, right now, you might have a big, nice place on your vision list. And you might be living in a little tight, crummy place right now. But can you be content in the little tight crummy place? Huh? Doesn't mean that you have to be completely fulfilled with the house. We're not talking about a house. We're talking about you. There is a difference here now. We're talking about you. You, you should be able to be full of joy and peace in somebody's basement. Wearing borrowed clothes. Yes. Eating leftover pizza. Yes. Riding a bicycle to work. You should still be able to shout that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Yes. That you're washed by the blood of the Lamb. Yes. That the Lord loves you. Yes. Right? Yes. And that He is your peace. He is your joy. He is your fulfillment. You should be able to shout and be happy and be content while at the same time believing to come up. But you don't have to wait till you get there to be happy. You can be happy every step between here and there. You can be happy and content before one more dollar comes in your account. Right? And if you're not, what are you? If you're not content, you are covetous okay y'all with me now how can you be content I've said it but for some reason you know some of these things we haven't heard maybe as much as we should have so how can I be content why should I be content very next phrase for he has said do you see it I I God will never leave you I Will never forsake you. What should that do to your soul? 
that should fill you, fill up your soul and satisfy you. And you go, man, I already got it all. I got God. Well, if you got God, you got everything he has and everything he can do. So we ain't talking about a life of poverty now. You got him. Now, with that in mind, go with me over to Philippians 4. Let's remind ourselves this goes right with this. Philippians 4. I know you said it before, but you are believing with me tonight, right? You know, this is, I haven't taught this exactly like this before, and I got a lot of things in me. But it's important what comes first and next and next and how you build and where you go. So I'm really looking in my spirit and I'm checking and you're believing with me, right? And we've already talked about this. You know, this is not just for you in the room here tonight. You're believing, we're believing God together to get revelation because these CDs are all over the world. And these down, you know, the downloads on the internet have just zoomed. They said our bill was kicking this month. Huh? The live, people that are on live has just shot way up. And so we got a whole bunch with us, believing with us live for revelation. And this is not just about you and me. We're believing that light gets out in the body. Truth gets in the body. So what I'm just reminding you, this is a lot bigger than me and you here tonight. So I'm believing God. You're believing God for truth that makes free. Philippians 4, are you there? Philippians 4. Verse 11, he said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. So did he always automatically know it? He what? He learned. If he learned it, could you learn it? This is something we can learn. Learn denotes a progression. I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Now, the next word says therewith. That's not in there. You see, it's in italics. And it really kind of changes the meaning of the verse. Therewith to be content. It's not that we have to be satisfied with junk. It's that we got to be satisfied now. Did you get that? No matter what I'm in, someone said, well, I have to be, you know, I got this doggy car. It's got 300,000 miles, but I got to be satisfied with this car for the rest of my life. No, you don't. But you got to be happy in God today and not be miserable because you don't have a car. You got to be happy and shouting and glory to God while you're driving the junky car. And be thankful for the junkie car, because if you didn't have it, what would you have? I'm so tired of these clothes, I don't have a thing to wear. Well, now that ain't exactly true, is it? Because if you showed up naked, we wouldn't even let you in here. So you got some clothes. And you can be happy in those clothes. And still have a vision for better. But not go around miffed and sullied and aggravated because you don't have something. That's being covetous. How many can see this? God's given us something on this series here. He's taking us somewhere. 
Everybody said out loud, Lord, show us what covetousness is. Lord, show me covetousness in me and how to be completely free from it. Hallelujah. Paul said, I learned. I learned. In whatever state I am to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be abased. What is that? What's abased? Poor circumstances. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. And here's where this verse came from. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now that's been pulled out and applied to a lot of things. But let's put it back into context. He said that concerning what? Concerning whether he had a lot or a little. Whether it was easy or tough. He said I can do it. I can do any of it. Through the anointed one. Who strengthens me. And if you go back and read through his life. You'll see there were times. When Paul had his own house. With servants. And he had so much money. That kings were hoping he'd try to bribe them. Have you read it? People just read right over it and miss that. But kings kept calling for him. Even when he was in custody. He had his own hired house. Hoping he would offer them money. Well, how many know when you're a king, $10 don't impress you? When you're talking about money, you're talking about serious money. And Paul had that in his power. There were other times when he was in a cold, dark jail cell. Asking one of his helpers to bring a coat to him. But even in those kind of times, he writes letters like Philippians. From a cold jail cell. And says rejoice. And again I say rejoice. How could you do that? Cold. Maybe hungry. He said I can do. All things. Through Christ. He said I have learned how. Big money in the bank. Empty account. Nice or rough. I have learned how. To be satisfied in my spirit. In my walk with God. To have the peace. To have the joy. And until we learn that. We're not qualified to handle the big stuff. And God's qualifying us. He's teaching us. He's training us. Because he. I just believe with all my heart. That this church is going to be full. Of people who are conduits. And channels. For finance to flow through. To the body of Christ. I don't mean three or four. I mean a bunch of people. In this family. And when I say that I mean through the internet too. Can you say amen? Amen. But we must be without covetousness. Not get rid of most of it. We got to be completely devoid of it. Free from it. Without covetousness. Say it out loud. I can do all things. things Through Christ. Christ. Who strengthens me. 
Now, in context, what does that mean? I can be happy, I can have peace, and be full of joy, no matter what's going on with my finances, or my house, or my stuff, or my business, or the economy. Right? I've learned how to be content. Can you say amen? Now, we went uh, last week to 1 Timothy 6. Don't go there at the moment. I'm just going to, if you weren't here, go back and get the materials. Download it off the internet for free. But we saw covetousness described as the love of money. That's just one aspect of it. That's not the definition of covetousness. That's one aspect of it. The love of money and how sometimes people will misquote and say, well, money's the root of all evil. No, that passage didn't say that. It said the love, the love of it. And uh, actually, uh, my father in the faith, uh, Brother Kenneth Hagin, who's in heaven now, he describes an experience that he had with the Lord and how the Lord taught him about being led by the Spirit. And if you haven't read some of those things or heard them, man, you ought to get them. It's some of the best in the world. How to be led by the Spirit. And the Lord taught him about the inner witness and how God leads his children and how he speaks and communicates with us. And after some length of that, at the end of it, in a vision, He said, the Lord told him, he said, uh, if you'll learn how to follow the leadings of my spirit, I'll make you rich. And he said it shocked his religious mind. He just never expected the Lord to tell him something like that. Because you know, money is evil. Well, that's religious tradition, not the word. And of course, he said, you know, the Lord knew his thoughts. I guess his eyes got big. He thought, huh? He said, if you'll learn how to follow the leadings of my spirit, I'll make you rich. So the Lord told him that personally. And he was thinking, wow. And as he was thinking that, he said, I'm not opposed to my children being rich. I'm opposed to their being covetous. But people have confused this, haven't they? People have assumed that to have money is to be covetous. And it's not. I said, it's not. You can be covetous and not have any money. There's all kind of poor people. They ain't got enough money to get out of town. And they are covetous. They, I mean, that's all they think about. Is getting some money and getting some stuff. Being rich and being covetous has got nothing to do with each other. How many believe it's possible that you could have a lot of stuff? And God be number one in your life. No question about anything. And not have anything you wouldn't turn loose of just like that. Not have anything you wouldn't sow and do what he told you to do with. To have all kind of stuff. And yet not have one bit of covetousness in you. Is it possible? It's the perfect will of God. For every one of us. Can you say amen? Now listen to this definition of covetousness. This is from the actual Hebrew and Greek words. One means, several of them, uh, more than one means actually, to desire. To desire. We don't use the word covet a whole lot in our modern vernacular. But we do use the word desire. And we also use the word want. And it's kind of confusing because want sometimes means lack. But when we say want, a lot of times some say, I sh- man, I want that. What do they mean? 
I desire it. And you got to watch about what you want. Because it can be covetousness. I want that. Oh, I want it. Now, covetousness, let me read the rest of them to you. It means to desire. Uh, Another one says to long for. To long for. Also, to sigh for. Sigh, S-I-G-H. To long for, to sigh for. One says to set the heart on. To set the heart on. Well, what does it mean when you sigh for something? You look at it and you go, what does that mean? You want it, as we'd say in Arkansas and southern Missouri. They want it bad. (laughs) They have a fierce craving for it. Longing. Now, here's one of the biggest issues. Can you long for something you should not have? Yeah. How about a child of God? A man of God, a woman of God. Can they long for something they should not long for? Yes, you can. Here's where the problems come in. You can want something. You can long for something and sigh for something. You're not supposed to have. Are you with me now? Let it sink in. To desire, to long for, to sigh for, to set the heart on. Now, depending on what you're talking about though, with, uh, don't turn there, but in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says, covet earnestly the best gifts. So covet in and of itself is not a bad word. It just means to long for. To desire. Could you long for something good? Could you strongly desire something good? And it would be alright for you to want it and long for it. Is it okay for us to long for the Lord's return? Huh? And to greatly desire it. And he said desire earnestly, covet earnestly the best gifts and manifestations of the Spirit. Is it okay to have a great desire and to long for the Spirit of God to move and manifest Himself? Show us things and heal people and deliver people. Is it okay to go around all day and all night going, oh, that's what we want. That's what we desire. We're hungry for that. We're hungry for revelation. We're hungry for the power of God and the glory of God and, and to just, you know, obsess about it. That's actually good. Are you with me now? That's good. He actually told us covet. That's a strong word. And he tells us covet. Covet what? The best gifts of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 14 says, brothers, covet to prophesy. Covet for inspiration, speaking. It's okay to covet and long for God and God's things and His will and His plan 
and his manifestations. But there are other things. He said, don't covet. Anybody remember? So when he says, let your life be without covetousness, obviously he's talking about coveting stuff you ain't supposed to have. How many understand you have to take all the scriptures and put them together and rightly divide and see? Well, go with me back to the Old Testament. And let me remind you what the Lord said from the beginning about this bad kind of covetousness. We'll go to Exodus. Exodus, the 20th chapter. Now, some of this you won't shout on. And some of it you will. But we don't just pick the verses we think we like and ignore the rest of them. Real, you know, a lot of people call ourselves word people. But it's a very selective type of word person. (laughs) Only certain verses. No, we love all the word. We love the scriptures that talk about covetousness. Yeah, that's kind of weak. Did you hear that? It's like, yeah, I guess so. If you say so, Brother Keith. No, we love the Word. Don't we? And all the Word, all the Word, all the Word is good. It's good. The parts that are good for instruction, but also the parts that are good for reproof and correction. Because correction is good. That means you quit going the wrong way and you start going the right way. And now you actually get results. All the word is good. And here he says in Exodus 20. And actually this is one of the uh, ten commandments. We could say one of the top ten. Is it important that you pay attention to these? Exodus 20. Are you there? Did you turn with me? Exodus 20. Verse 1. God spoke these words and he began to say. Verse 3. You'll have no other gods before me. How many others? None. You'll not make to you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. That's why we do not bow in front of a statue or a picture of Jesus. Are you listening? We don't pray to a statue or a picture. It's amazing how many people completely ignore this. He said no images. That you're going to bow in front of and pray to and that kind of thing. Verse 5. You shall not bow down yourself to them. Nor serve them. For I the Lord your God am a jealous God. Jealous God. Now let that sit in your spirit. Because we're going to come back to this. We're going to see this again and again. This is why covetousness is such a big issue. Because God is. A jealous God, and he is not okay with sharing the number one spot in your life with anything or anybody. And he's certainly not okay with being number two or three. Hmm? Can you imagine the Lord being equal billing with a car or a house? I love the Lord, and I love my Porsche. I love the Lord, but I love jewelry. Whoo, I love jewelry. I love the Lord, but I love my house. Almost the same or even more excitement. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, a lot of people would be quick to say, oh, no, no. You know, I love the Lord. He's first. But if you actually look at how much time they spend thinking about the other thing, 
versus how much time they spend thinking about and talking about the Lord. It's pretty obvious. It's fine. I love the Lord in theory. He's number one. But what do you spend the most of your time thinking, talking about? Where does most of your resources go toward? Then that's what's most important to you. You got talk and you got what you do. He said, I'm a jealous God. You didn't know that about him, right? He's jealous. Actually, you look it up. One time it says, jealous God, capital J. What does that mean? (laughs) He is not willing to share the number one spot with anybody or anything. You cannot love a person, including your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your friends. You cannot love them as much as you love him. And he'll be okay with it. You cannot love stuff or money anywhere close to the way you love him. You'll provoke him to jealousy. You have to be already settled. That all your family and all your friends know. Everybody knows. Don't make me pick between you and God. Because I won't even have to pray about it. (laughs) I won't even have to say, well, let me think about it and come back. No. I got your answer right now. Who's more important? Me or God? (laughs) Well, God. No contest. You don't love me as much as the Lord? Nope. Now see, a lot of people don't like that. Why? Because people, they have a place in their heart that only God should have. A place in their life. And that's why you'll see people lose a pet. And grieve for 10 years and can't get over it. Or a person. And just are incapacitated. Now somebody that's close to you and you love. Yeah, you'll miss them. Yeah, you might shed some tears. You will shed some tears. But if you can't function without them. That means they had a place in your heart and life that only God was supposed to have. So never say, never say, I couldn't make it without them. I just don't think I could live without them. What does that mean? You're saying they have the place of God in my life. He should be the only one you can't make it without. Are y'all with me? That doesn't mean you don't love your family and friends. It just means you love him most of all. Now, I'm not making this up, am I? Jesus is the one who said, anybody who comes to me. And this is the word he uses. It doesn't hate his family. He can't be my disciple. Now, is he telling you to hate your people? But if you look that up, you'll see he's talking about one definition is to love less. To love less. You must love everybody less than you love him. Or you love him more than you love everybody. Man, we could camp on this the rest of the night now, couldn't we? Who's number one? God. Who do I love the most? Talking about you. Who do you love the most? Say it out loud. I love the Lord my God. I love the Lord my God. 
With all my heart. All my soul. All my mind. All my strength. See then he says. And your neighbor as yourself. What comes first though? Loving God. Loving God. I've heard ministers. Teach whole. Series. And basically talk about. That your family comes first. Not ministry. Well, what does that mean? What is ministry? We're talking about serving God. Doing his will. Doing, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, you know, I would do that. I would get involved with the church. And I would get involved with that. But my family. Did you know that anything you put ahead of God, you're in danger of losing? Anybody or anything you put ahead of God, you're in danger of losing. It's not just quantity of time spent with loved ones that makes life sweet. It's quality. I said it's quality. And you want to have some sweet times with your family, your spouse, your children, your friends, your parents. You'll find it's after you've done the will of God. When sometimes even when you've sacrificed and you've put him first and you did what it took, you got up early, you stayed late, you made the, the commitment, and then you come in and God gives you yes. sweetness. He, how many know God can give you in a day what would be worth more than two weeks yes. of just spending time? Yeah, that's right. Amen. And beside that, our life down here is not just so we can spend time with each other. Our little brief life down here is so we can do a job. Accomplish what God put us here to do. And we're out of here. Soon. Is that right? Well, I got some folks with me. I still got some people. You hadn't said it, but I know it. You're looking at me and say, well, I don't care. My family comes first. Yeah, I know. And it's wrong. If your family is first, God is not first. You can't have two firsts. No man can serve. Two masters. You can only have one first. Now this gets to core issues. It does. And it gets down to some decisions that you have to make. But the best favor you ever did your family was to obey God 100% and put him first. And you'll find sometimes it'll look like you're leaving them. Sometimes it'll look like y'all are just growing further apart. But what'll happen is in time to come, God will have you in a position to help. And to make a difference. He'll give you strength and ability. Why? Because you put him first. Years ago, one of the first, actually, Brother Hagen, my senior and father in the faith, I had only been with him a short time. Something came up and he called and said, I want you to go take a meeting from me. Man, I was shocked. And I thought, everybody come to hear him. So I was a little bit apprehensive. <laughs> People drove from all kinds of distances. And they're expecting to hear Brother Hagen. And there was no time to announce he's not going to be there. So the music is going to finish. And guess who's going to step out? <laughs> Me. And most of them didn't have a clue who I was. And to top it off, the night before... This is, I'm supposed to be preparing and getting ready. I get this call. 
that some of my family is in dire situation. And the thought comes to my mind, well, you got to go. You got to go and do this. Well, first of all, so many times we don't think right. What are you going to do when you get there? Who's got to fix this? If it's going to get fixed, it's got to be God. It's fine to be there and comfort people and help them, but you can't do it. You can't heal people. You can't meet all their needs. The biggest thing that we got to do is get in faith. And I was really tempted to try to say, hey, I got to go. I got to do this. I got to take care of this. And the Lord said this to me. He said, you take care of my family tonight. I'll take care of yours. What does that mean? That means gird up your loins and be a man. Be strong. Focus on what's at hand here. Take care of your job. And go in here. How many understand God loves all his family the same? You know yours. You may think they're special above everybody else. But God, you know, loves all of them. All his family. He said, take care of my family. I'll take care of yours. I'm telling you, I did. I did. And some folk didn't understand why I didn't just run. Well, when the Lord speaks to you, who's number one? Who's first? Come on, help me with this. Now, who's first? God or family? God or friends? God or yourself? God or business? God or stuff? God. God. Number one. Anything else is a distant second. He's number one. I'm telling you, the very next day, I get word that God did just what he told me. He sent somebody into that situation. They did a much better job than I could have done. And he fixed that thing and straightened it out just like that. And all I had to do is kick back and give God glory and give him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. So you got your way, his way. And the moment you start putting other stuff ahead of him, you're cutting yourself off from his way and his grace and his help. And covetousness is involved in this. I I know you may not see that fully right now, but I'm getting to it. Keep reading. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Do you want to provoke him to jealousy? No, you don't. How would you provoke him to jealousy? Somebody else, something else before him. In fact, hold your place right here and go to Colossians. I was going to wait a little bit on this, but here we go. Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Do you think it'll make any difference for us to get completely free from covetousness? Actually, maybe we'll see this later, but one place in the scripture where the Lord told the leader of his people to appoint people over actually the nation. He said one of the main qualifications, he said they must be uh, not be covetous. They can't be covetous. That's leadership quality. And so what's God doing through this series? What's he already starting on for us? Getting us ready for promotion, for increase. Do you see it? Getting us ready to ha- for us to handle precious things, big things. 
you do understand, there is a whole lot of Christians, a whole lot of Christians, God cannot give a million dollars to. If he did, it might not be next week, but next month, they wouldn't be in church. They'd be somewhere backslid. Why? Because they'd get stuff in their eyes. Did you hear me? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be this, and... Basically, I don't need the Lord like I used to. Got my million. Ignorant. But the person whose heart is so anchored in God and loves God so much that nothing else even comes a close second, he can give them anything. Anything. And they might go whoopee about it, but when you get through saying whoopee, God's still number one. I mean, he's always been there. He always will be. It doesn't shake you. It doesn't change you because God is still number one. Can you see this? Can we be stronger in this? Can we learn like Paul did? Whether I got money, whether I don't. Whether I got the big house, whether I don't. Don't change me. Because God's my life. And he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So I'm always rich. No matter what's going on. Colossians, are you there? Verse 1. Chapter 3. Colossians 3, 1. If you be risen with Christ. Are you? How many confess that you, you have died and you're buried with him. And you're raised again with him. And if you be risen with Christ. Do what? Seek those things which are. Above, as opposed to what? Things that are below. He said, how many remember Matthew 6.33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these. Not that you're not going to have anything. The exact opposite. You get to the place where nothing else even comes close to the place of God in your life. You can handle some stuff. Set your affection, verse 2, on things above, not on things on the earth. I said this last week. I want to say it again. Don't use, this is for the faith life family now. I'm your daddy under the Lord. Don't use the word love concerning things. Right? Only God and people. Don't say, I love my car. I love my house. So I said, well, what's wrong with it? Well, if you were listening, you'd know by now. (laughs) But you can say, I enjoy my car. I'm thankful for my car. It's a blessing. But I love God and my brothers and sisters. Actually, part of what we're having a struggle with is the way the word love is used in our society. And it'll help us in our own thinking in life to get it straight. God is love. And I don't love pizza like I love God. Love apple pie and Chevrolet. No, I love God. I can enjoy a good Chevrolet and a pizza. But I don't love that stuff like I love God, so I don't use that word. Train yourself. 
We're talking about learning. Paul learned some things. We're learning some things. Train yourself not to use the word love talking about things. Keep reading. You're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear. Then shall we also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. Now let's just stop right here. Has he changed subjects? Why would you get into fornication? Because you're wanting something. That you shouldn't be wanting. Uncleanness. Inordinate affection. Now see here's this word. Inordinate affection. Affection you ought not have. Beyond the limits of what you should have. Evil concupiscence. Concupiscence has to do with desiring and wanting and craving too. And what? You see that some of these words carry some of the same idea. Covetousness. Read this out loud with me. Covetousness which is... Idolatry. Didn't say it's like idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. One reason I wanted you to read this now. Can you see how this parallels when he said no other gods before me. I'm a jealous God. Why? Because covetousness. And see why would the Lord say this like this in the New Testament. Because in our country, for instance, you don't see as much statues of all the other gods. You do still in some other countries, but particularly us. But people assume there is no idolatry. But there is. And you identify it through what? Covetousness. If you want anything or anybody... More than you want the will of God and plan of God in your life. There's an idol in your life. There's something that you're bowing down before and seeking after. Instead of and above the Lord. It's not like covetousness. Idolatry rather. It is idolatry. Say that out loud again. Covetousness is idolatry. I've seen people miss the plan of God for their life over a house. Well, I'd have to leave my house. I'd have to leave my stuff. I'd have to leave what I built. You're going to leave it anyway. Soon. Remember we read last week, you brought how much into this world? And how much you going to take? Nothing. You leaving this stuff whether you want to or not. And you leaving it soon. How much better? If need be, lay it down to do the work of the Lord and get the reward. Phyllis and I have had the privilege of being able to do some of this for three or four times now in our life. I remember the first time. We had a little mobile home. Old. Shabby. Stuff didn't work in it. And I had a little truck, little car. Little motorcycle and a dog. And probably a hundred dollars. And the Lord had dealt with me and Phyllis to leave that and go serve him. And I thought, leave my home? <laughs> now see y'all are laughing, but it's all relative to where you are. Leave my hot rod? Man, I only spent three thousand dollars on this thing. Which to me was a fortune. 
And my dog, I can't leave my dog. He rides in the back of my truck. He catches my frisbee. My dog. And your family. My family. Phyllis's family. And so, you know, looking back now, it seems silly to me that I would have paused. But it's all where you are. Oh, but what if we'd have said, we can't do it. It's too big a price. Me and you wouldn't know each other. We wouldn't be here. A lot of other things it wouldn't be. But oh, thank God. We left and when we first got to where we were going, it just looked like we'd ruined our lives. Nobody knew us and cared there and that we knew of and we left what little we had in the world and but Paul said, the sufferings of this present life, talking about including all these kind of things. He said, they are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And even in this life, looking back now, are you kidding? You think I miss that little trailer? The house God's got us in? You think I miss that little car? Do you know I'm not just talking about me? I'm talking about you, you. How much more of this can you take tonight? A couple of days, Mo says. I want to give you some more of this. Go back to uh, Exodus. Exodus. I want to give you something the Lord gave to me today. He'd said it to me before, but he brought it to my remembrance. And I'm telling you, if you just got this one thing out of tonight, it'll change your life. So we're preparing you for it right now. Get ready to hear it. It's an answer. It's an answer. Okay, Brother Keith. Okay, I see it. What do I do about it? That's what we're going to tell you. And it works to get free. He said he's a jealous God in Exodus. And he said... Verse 13, you shall not kill. Why would you kill? This is talking about murder. It's not even talking about war. It's not talking about self-defense. talking about murder. You have to look at other scriptures to see all that. But why would you? There are people who take other people's lives for $50 on the street. Why would they take this person's precious life and everything that they will ever have or ever do in the rest of their life? Why would they take that away from them and destroy that? Over $50. Because they covet that money. They want that money and they don't care what it costs that person. They want it. So do they care about the will of God? This thing is above God in their life. This is their God. It's an idol. Can you see how evil it is? Why God tells us concerning covenants to be what? With that completely without it. Not a shred of it in you. He said, you shall not commit adultery. Why would you commit adultery? You got a wife. You want somebody else's wife or husband. Why? You shall not steal. Why would you steal? You rather you had it than them have it. They got it. You want it. Yeah. 
So what are you going to do? You're perfectly willing for them to do without so you can have it. Covetousness. Never mind that God said don't do it. It's more important to you that you get it than to obey God. So God's not first. Getting the thing is first. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now here you go. You shall not what? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Nor his manservant. Nor his maidservant. Of course, the it's continued thought. You'll not covet his manservant. You'll not covet his maidservant. You'll not covet his ox or his ass, nor anything that is your neighbor's. He said, don't do it. Don't covet it. What does covet mean? Want it. Desire it. Long for it. He said, don't do it. Skip on over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5. He says it again. Deuteronomy 5. Verse 21. This is actually the last commandment. The tenth of the ten. Deuteronomy 5. 21 says what? Neither shall thou what? So see. He's quoting the same commandment. But here he uses a different word. Don't desire your neighbor's wife. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet his field. Or his manservant or his maidservant. You you shall not covet or desire his ox. Or his ass. Now they didn't have automobiles. They didn't have high tech stuff. But this is what they did have. So can you see this applies to everything that somebody else might have? I mean, I don't care if it's their yacht or their iPod. Hmm? You shall not covet their stuff. Doesn't mean you can't have one. And here's one of the biggest reasons why you don't have to covet. God will give you your own. He will give you your own. If you'll believe him. If you let him be your God and not the stuff, he'll give you your own. If it's theirs, you must not let yourself desire it. Did you hear me? I know uh, years ago, and I some of these things can help us because people think ministers are Never are troubled with any of these kind of things. But all of us go through the same stuff. I've always liked cars. And really I liked cars too much when I was a boy. A teenager. And uh, I mean I ate, slept, dreamed and breathed. Going fast and power. You know. And I still like it. But. Even when I learned about faith. I learned I could believe for a nice car. And so I did. I sowed my seed. And somebody that was close to me got a new Corvette. And they made mention of the fact that if the Lord ever dealt with them, they'd give it to me. Well, it crossed my mind 
that maybe God's dealing with them to give me that car. Now, what are y'all laughing about? And so I thought, well, you know, great. If he does, he does. I'm believing for one. And there one was. Now, here's an important distinction. It's theirs. Did you hear this? Now, reading this, did you read it again? What does it say? You shall not covet what? Your neighbors. What does that mean? That's theirs. That's theirs. And the enemy tried to trick me on this. Now, this is decades ago. Thank God I've learned a few things since then. But one of the first cars I tried to believe for, he dealt with me. He said, well, the thought came to me, you need to claim that so God can have a legal right to deal with them. Do you all understand what I'm saying? Now? Yes, sir. The devil's subtle. And in my ignorance, I thought, well, man, maybe right. And it kept on pressing me, you gotta claim it, you gotta claim it. Well, it's the devil. Cause they said, you know, they, if the Lord dealt with them. Now, let's back up a little bit. People use that terminology too loosely. They laugh and joke and go, is God dealing with you to give me that? Or boy, if God ever deals with you, you know, here I am, you need my address? That's not okay. We live this way. If God deals with us, we will do it. That was a little weak. If God deals with us, we will sow anything we've got. Anything. To anybody. Anywhere, anytime. We'll do what, because he's first. We're not covetous. So because of that, don't joke about these things. People joke because it's not real to them. And they drop hints because they're playing with these things. We don't play with them. We do it. We live this way. So if you think God might be dealing with somebody, that's when you certainly don't say anything. Are you with me? You don't want to muddy the waters. If it's God, let it be God. He don't need your help with that. But... I was pressed. The enemy tried to bug me with that. Well, you're supposed to claim that. You're supposed to claim that. And finally, I struggled with it. I thought, well, maybe I should. And I vacillated. Thank God, eventually, the Lord helped me to see. No, no. You claim you won. But not theirs. You can claim one just like it. You can claim one better. But do not look at theirs. And long for it. Are y'all with me now? When I was first year at Rama, Brother Hagin was teaching in healing school, and uh fellow, bless his heart, first year Rama student, came in and told him right at Christmas time, he said, well, he said, I have claimed your Bronco. He had a you know, four-wheel drive Bronco truck. He said, I've claimed your Bronco. He said, you go ahead and drive it through Christmas, but I'll be expecting it. How ignorant. That's what gives so-called faith a bad reputation. It's got nothing to do with faith. It's covetousness. What's he doing? He's coveting the man's truck. Well, I noticed that Brother Hagen drove that Bronco for many years after that. (laughs) Huh? 
You want a Bronco? Claim you a Bronco. But don't get your eyes on their Bronco. You want a wife? Claim your wife. If you don't already have one. But don't get your eyes on somebody else's wife, their wife. You must not desire. Now here people say, well, I don't mean to, but they're just so beautiful and we just fell in love. And here's where you come back to that love stuff. So many times people don't even have a clue what they're talking about. When they're talking about love, they could just as easily say lust. Now, now listen to this. When, people, when somebody says, I, I love you. I need you. I've got to have you. That's got nothing to do with them loving you. Nothing about loving you. They love what you do for them, how you make them feel. What they're saying is, I love me. And I love when I feel good. And I love that you make me feel good. And I love what you do for me. And so you see people, they're in love, they say. We've fallen in love. And then when they get to where you don't make me feel good anymore, we have fallen out of love. Never was any real love. The real love of God gives. The real love of God, God so loved the world that he gave. Can you say amen? My, my. This is a big subject. He said, you shall not desire. Everybody say it out loud. Say I. I shall not desire. My neighbor's spouse, my neighbor's house, my neighbor's cars, my neighbor's life, my neighbor's stuff, I refuse to. I will not let myself long for it. Now, we're going to answer the question, like I said, how do you keep from it? Can you? A born-again child of God long for something you shouldn't long for? Yes. Let's go back to this falling in love stuff. Did you know that you can fall in love with somebody you should never have even gotten close to? Yes. And see, people think because we're in love that that just makes everything wonderful and right. And it was just bigger than the both of us. And we couldn't help it. Then what you're saying is you are a slave to your desires. No. And people don't have integrity. Here's the statement. And I'll endeavor to say it different ways and we'll build on it. But how can I be strong and not follow desires that are wrong? Because they come to all of us. Uh, A minister was talking to me just not that long ago. And he was telling me he was crying. He's saying, Brother Keith, I don't know what's wrong with me. But, you know, I go on vacations and stuff and I see these women in these bikinis. And he said, man, I want them. He said, what's wrong with me? I said, you're a man. See, he said, something's wrong with me. I said, you're a man. He's trying to think. See, the devil is telling him, you're messed up. 
Something's wrong with you because you want these women. And something's wrong with you. Listen, your flesh did not get born again. And even the most holy saint, man of God, a woman of God can find thoughts and feelings that are not good. But here's the thing. Are you going to feed that desire? Or are you going to starve it? Because if you feed it, what's going to happen? It's going to get stronger. If you starve it, it's going to get weaker. And it's up to you. You see something, you want it, and if you know the word, you know immediately, I'm not supposed to want that. Are you with me? Then what comes next? you got to make up your mind, I'm not feeding this. I am not feeding. Why? Because it'll get strong. If I feed it, it'll get stronger. And the more I feed it, the stronger it'll get. And the stronger it gets, it'll pull you to act on it. And it'll torment you. Unsatisfied desire will torment you. And you don't have to live that way. You don't have to be that way. You can be free. You can starve that thing till it has no power in your life. So people think, well, I'm just perverted. Something's wrong with me. No. Why did the Lord tell us? In the scriptures, he, we may go back there and look at it later. But he talks about, you shall not look on this one's nakedness. And you don't look on this one's nakedness. And you don't look on, why? Why not look on their nakedness? It'll cause you to desire. And that's just part of your physical makeup. Don't try to make it some huge, you know, spiritual demonic thing. It's just part of your nature. Supposed to work with husband and wives. But you're not supposed to see other people's nakedness. But now we live in a society where other people are naked all over the place. And people like to try to pretend, well, you know, I'm so spiritual, that don't affect me. You're lying. You see something that your physiology is made to respond to. Did you hear me? Now you got to make a decision. Immediately you should go, I'm not supposed to want this. I'm commanded not to desire this. So what do we do? We got to cut this off. We cannot feed it. We cannot look at it. We cannot listen to it. We cannot watch it. We cannot talk about it. Why? Because it will get strong if we do. And it will torment us. What about a desire for God's will? A desire for the gifts and blessings of God. Well, I'm supposed to feed that so that it gets stronger and stronger until it's the strongest thing in my life. And it sounds simple, but what's going to enable you and I to not go after the wrong desire? Simple. We desire something else more. I know that's simple, but that's the answer right there. What will enable me when I'm pulled? My eyes want to look. My body wants to follow. I want to go get that thing. I want to lie and get that money. I want to do that underhanded thing and get that place or that house. And I know it's wrong, but I want it. See, this is the thing people hadn't wanted to admit, that you can want something you're not supposed to want, even as a Christian. Somebody said, well, I thought that was just something wrong with me. Everybody's human. Everybody's got flesh. But there's got to be something in you that you love more. (laughs) You love God more. You love your people more. The Lord's helped me. 
I haven't had any affairs. None. I haven't stole any offerings. None. I go out on the road. I go everywhere. I'm in all kind of places. I haven't taken one prostitute to my hotel room. Not one. I'm not bragging. Why? I love something more than a quick night. I love something more. I, even if I saw something that pulled me, that attracted me, I love something more. I love God more. I love you more than to throw all this away. Did you hear me? I love my wife more. I love my family more. I love the ministry more. I love it more. And that's strong enough in me that I can overcome those other desires. Can you see? Are you with me? Can it be strong in you? Can it be strong enough to get you to get rid of that pornography on your computer? It just torments me. Well, how did it get that way? You have been feeding it and feeding it and feeding it. And now you've got this monster desire that's just chewing on you and desiring you and it torments you. How are you going to get that off of you? Starve it. Starve it. You got you, at some point, And if you feel too weak to get rid of your TV, get rid of your computer, get whatever you got to do. I said, well, that seems like extreme measures. It may take some extreme measures. Joseph had to run out of his coat. He had to get out of there. Why? Because that desire is pulling on him. And don't kid yourself. Don't play with yourself that you can go in there and toy with that. And you're not going to give in. Especially when you've yielded again and again and again in the past. You've got to do something drastic. Do what you've got to do. But cut off whatever is feeding that thing. Cut it off. Do what you have to do. You may have to look at people and say, I can't go over there. I'm not going to go. Why? Well, I'm just not. But you know, they show stuff over there that you can see. Maybe it's not even there, but you can see it from there. Did you hear me? And you're in proximity to it. The wise man said to his sons concerning the loose woman, he said, don't go near the door of her house. Why? Well, if you're trying to lose a few pounds, it's easier to pass the grocery store than it is the cookie aisle. That's right. I intended to, but my time is already pretty much here. But I intended, and maybe we'll look at it next week. But that's what happened to Adam and Eve. What are they doing? When they fail, where do you see them? Where are they? They're out there by that tree. Looking at that tree. Checking that tree out. And what are they doing? They're feeding that desire for something they're not supposed to have and desire. They're feeding it. And the more they fed it, the more they wanted it. Have you seen it before? You get something on your mind and you get to talking it. Maybe you want a car. And you get to talking it and you get to looking at cars and get you some car brochures. And the more you look at it, what? The more you want it. And you, we need to be savvy enough spiritually to realize when you get to wanting something too much, what do you do? Get rid of the brochure. Quit looking for now. I'm serious. You, you got to tone this thing down. But when it comes to something you're not supposed to want, you're not supposed to look at it for three minutes. Don't say you can't help it. It's a choice. I said it's a choice. 
And I'm not saying, there are some things that will pull on you. And depending on how much you fed it and yielded to it, it can be a tremendously strong pull. Because you fed this thing. And it's huge in your life. It pulls you. It tries to just drag you into it. But you can love God so much. And you can love his will and his plan so much. That that is stronger than anything else that your flesh desires. And you'll find grace. To turn away and walk away. To turn off. To cut off. And starve it. Can you say amen? Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.